Hey, Donnie here. I wanted to tell you about Champions 90. Champions 90 isn't a workout routine or a fitness routine. This is about you transforming your life mentally, giving yourself an upgrade while you build to business freedom. Champions 90 is about you getting quiet with your thoughts, staying focused on building your business and getting you to freedom. Come join the challenge at champions90.com. All right, guys, it's going to be a cool episode sitting down with uh, Corey Blake and talking about his journey from, you know, childhood through being in one of the 50 greatest Super Bowl commercials of all time. And ultimately, you know, how uh, his life is transformed over the years by constantly, you know, evolving and betting on himself. It's a really fun episode. And as, as always, guys, this is brought to you by Point Blank Safety Services. Uh, Stacy McGovern, who has a, just a hell of a story. If you've never heard it, it's episode 22 here on the podcast. And you should go back and listen to it because it's a great story of triumph. And it's really, you know, exemplifies living that American dream. But if you're in the Texas area and you need safety and security for your freeways, your office assets, your people, man, reach out to Point Blank Safety Services. You'll be amazed at their level of customer service and their dedication to helping police officers, you know, earn additional revenue and income sources. And I'll promise you, it's it's worth every bit to reach out to them and say hello. Tell them Donnie sent you. So head over to pointblanksafety.com. And guys, I'm totally excited. We are doing the first ever Badass Business Summit. 12 speakers from around the U.S. talking about business development and how you can use social media podcasting, writing your book, getting on stage, and a whole bunch of different elements to expand and grow your business. I encourage you guys, you need to get here to this thing. We're going to be doing two live podcasts. One will be for Success Champions podcast. The second live podcast will be a part of uh, another podcast called uh, Sales Throwdown. Great group of folks over there that are doing amazing things talking about sales. And if you haven't checked out their podcast, I highly recommend it. But uh, visit BadassBusinessSummit.com for more details. Tickets are on sale, and they are going very, very, very quickly. I hope to see you guys there so you can be part of not only a badass summit and conference, but you get to be a part of a live episode here on Success Champions. Now, let's get to Corey. Your success and greatness is ready to take flight right now. The fruits of your labor are just turning right, right now. That's why you planted all those seeds, so you can take a bite right now. The unbelievable, it's now believable. You're reaching new heights right now. The ground is no place for champions. The ground is no place for champions. The ground is no place for champions. Blake. And dude, we started off with some of the most hillbilly country sayings I've heard in a while. He said darn tootin' when we first got in here. And the guy's from Chicago. I don't know where that comes from, but so so we'll give him a hard time for it. But I'm Donnie Bovey, and this is Donnie Success Champions. Corey, welcome to the show, my friend. Please tell us your story. Thanks, Donnie. I appreciate it. <laughs> you're welcome well, for the intro, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. Like if your video, if your if your viewers could see me, I'd, I'm a little bit red right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where darn tootin came from either. <laughs> so I, I grew up uh, uh, in a in a Jewish household uh, in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, and uh, first five years of my life or so, uh, I was uh, 
kind of the source of all of my mother's light and energy. So that led me to believe, you know, that I'm on this planet to do something special, that I am actually the center of the universe, right? A young Jewish boy, that's probably pretty normal. And, uh, and then when I was five years old, my mother uh, hit a point where she was diagnosed with severe depression. And I think what today what we would call bipolar disorder. And her light went out. And that year of my life, uh, I went from thinking I was special to feeling like I was invisible uh, in the dark. Like I really didn't know how to exist in the world without her light. It was almost like she was so bright. Uh, while there were other sources of light in my life, they were nothing in comparison. And so I just felt like I was in the dark. But that year of my life was um, was the birth of some really significant gifts that I use every day now. And, um, and those were that I had to learn how to read the energy of a room because the person who had been the safest in my life became the most dangerous. Mm. And I also had to learn really um, how to understand the gap between what people say and, and really what we feel as human beings. Everything is fine, honey, right? When shit is far from fine. Right. So that was a really painful year of my life and certainly of our, you know, of my, for my family, but it was instrumental. And I didn't unpack this until my late thirties. You know, I, I went on, you know, as a kid to, um, be a chorus kid and a theater kid and, and went to school for theater, went to Millican University, uh, south of Chicago, and studied performance, loved acting, always been a ham because, you know, happy mom was uh, a safer mom. <laughs> So I learned to be a really good performer, right? right. And uh, and and then I ran off to LA for a while and and acted professionally. Was one of my first, you know, the first in our group to uh, get well compensated as an actor, doing commercial stuff, some TV stuff, a little bit of film. Like one of my claim to fames is uh, I was in one of the 50 greatest Super Bowl commercials of all time. It's a Mountain Dew spot takeoff on Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, which yeah. is very popular. Um, but ultimately, you know, as an actor, eventually, really, I just felt like a crayon in other people's crayon box mm. and uh, felt like a tool for, for other creative people. But I wasn't, I was always a guest in, at other people's parties, so to speak. I might work anywhere from one to five days on a set where people had spent months, you know, preparing to be there or already working together. And, and so I, I never felt part of a family. So I started uh, producing and directing and kind of created my first storytelling company out in Los Angeles, bringing together a group of actors, raising some money, shooting some professional short films. And yet with each of those, I would do so many things really well. And then I would do one thing just so badly, it blew up the project entirely. I think you just described my entire life in one little phrase. <laughs> yes, <nailed> it. <laughs> Did that a couple of times, right? And then I, on the third try, I created a storytelling company called Roundtable Companies that now we're in our 13th year. And, nice. uh, and I love it. I, I really feel incredibly blessed to, to get to do what I do now as a storyteller. No, dude, that's really, really, really cool. So um, one first five years old, I mean, I know you said you unpacked it at 30. But holy shit, what, 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 I mean, what a transitional kind of journey and ride to go from the limelight to the gutter. And I hate to say it that way, but that's what came to mind. But, you know, to, to go through such a wicked transition, do you, and I know comedy kind of came that thing to keep mom happy, but do you think you would have found that had you not gone through that transition? 
No, I wouldn't have needed to. Not not in that not not to that degree. And I should I should frame it up correctly. I think I, I misspoke a little bit. It was a year of her life that she would, that that light went out, and then she got properly medicated, and it came back on stronger okay. than ever. Okay. Right? So All I right. had that year of walking on eggshells in my in, in life, packaged on both sides with so much you know, poured into me that I'm insanely confident with my ability to, you know, call out things where I see the gap in alignment or right, right. Call, you know, call out uh, what I see in other folks. So, yeah. So, but I, I, I appreciate the question. I, I don't know. I'm a believer that, you know, our, our pain manifests what we need to survive. That becomes our strength and our superpower. Uh, being a performer in, in over that course of that year, particularly that, that seed was planted right there. Right into that and I, I don't know what would have been planted in the absence of that right right that's awesome and just so you know every time i get somebody who's into the movies and all that and film and all, all that i always tell them that one day i will be in a movie i don't care what movie it is i don't care if i'm an extra in the background i'm gonna be like i'm dude 13 in a blue shirt in the back of that thing okay just so you know <laughs> I, I love it and i don't mean to make you envious but i'm gonna make you envious my my <laughs> i got into the screen actors guild doing eight days on fight club and watching david fincher work and hanging out with Brad Pitt and me. I love. fucking hate you. Just so I, you know. I figured you might. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty you. badass experience. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, what, I mean, what was when would you actually did, did you transition into that world? Was it right after high school, or was it, did you know kind of through that trip that you were going to end up in that in that side of things? Uh, so I was, I was in plays in high school, ended up going to a theater school. And then at the, at my senior year, I felt burnt out at college. And so a friend of mine who had graduated the year before was moving to Portland, Oregon. And he was like, dude, do you want to go? And I was like, get me out of here. Went to Portland for six months. But and your months, Jewish mother was really proud at that. Yeah, moment. she loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Made no sense to her. But three months into that stay, um, he couldn't find stable work. And so he left. And so I was alone in Portland for three months just with people that I met. It was probably the loneliest time of my period of my life, um, but it was also very formative, right? Because I actually like that was another one of where one of these seeds was planted in in my work. Um, but then another friend called me who was in Virginia at the time. He said, "I will drive across the country and get you if you'll go down to L.A. with me." Shot down to L.A. and I I thought I thought acting was my identity, like for my right. All during all of those formative years, it was the only thing that made sense to me. So then, when I kind of hit that rock bottom as an actor, of feeling like I, I'm getting the Hollywood trailer. It looks really cool from the outside. I'm hanging out with cool people. I'm getting paid well. My mom thinks I'm, the, you know, on the top right. of the world. That's but my I, boy. <laughs> totally. But I felt really invisible. I, I did. It was a really a, a challenging time, particularly when everyone around me is like, "You're living the dream for all of us," and so. Isn't that annoying? Was, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I didn't understand it as annoying at the time. I just I just felt broken, like right. something might be wrong. Um, and and when I left LA, eventually, you know, I had like a, what I call my three year temper tantrum because if I wasn't an actor, I I had no idea who I was. Mm. Wow, you know, God, that's so interesting because. You're right. Most people look at people in the, in, the, in the film, and especially if you've been on TV, even if it's a commercial, you know, there, you get this kind of stigma to it. It's like, it's not comparable, but like us as speakers, you know, we sometimes get that, that once we're on stage, you know, talk, my favorite thing is, you know, I walk into a room and people find out that I have a, you know, a top 200 podcast. They're like, oh, do people like, you know, who you are when you walk in a room? I'm like, 
It's a podcast. They never see my face, you know? <laughs> so absolutely nobody knows who the hell I am, you know, but, but, you know, what a, did you feel like you just fell? I mean, you know, you're kind of that on top of the world moment and now you're an average Joe kind of guy. Is that, is that how you describe it? You, you, you're nailing it so hardcore uh, because not only did I leave acting, I left LA and I moved back. I had gotten married. I moved back to the, to the Northwest suburbs of Chicago that to me were so unbelievably boring. They were the people that was where people lived who didn't have dreams to me based on where I'd been that, that transit, that three year transition was, was so brutal because exactly that I, I, I felt, uh, I felt alone. Um, and I felt like I was in a, in a place where I was the only dreamer and I didn't, I don't know if I wasn't surrounded by it. Was it me anymore? Yeah, no, dude, I get, I mean, there's, there's a portion of my journey where I tried to run away from it, you know, where I, I, you know, took jobs in different States and went to different things. And, you know, every time I came back to it, you know, everybody else was still the same and I was the only one, you know, trying to go for it. And I, yeah. It's kind of the process I went through as well. And it's interesting because what I discovered along the way, and I'm curious if you did too, was no matter how far I run there, I was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And when, you know, when, when, when I went back to LA, like a year after having left and I went to, got invited to an industry party, I'll never forget this. There was, I don't know, maybe a hundred guests at this party. There was a 12 piece mariachi band playing. They were unbelievable. And I swear to God, I was the only person in the room who even knew they were there mm. because everyone was just talking about their next project and this thing they're working on. And it was so industry, it, there was nothing human about it. And I felt in that moment, I felt so grateful to have gotten out of there. Even if I didn't know what I was still unfolding for me, I knew that, that, that who I had become in that space was not me. Oh, that's so interesting because when you're in it, man, you don't see it, right? No. You don't hear it coming out of your mouth. That's a really cool, cool way of looking at it that, that even though at the moment you didn't see Chicago going back to Chicago as a good thing, it actually helped you level up your game when you went back. That's really, really cool. It did. And I've been there for a decade. We moved to the North Shore, which I like a little bit better, but it's, you know, it's still, it, now it's all snooty. It's different. It's, a, <laughs> it's, got, it's got different elements to it. But like I told you, I, I, I fly out to Texas literally five times as frequently as I go into the city of Chicago. So where I am has become irrelevant. Right, right. So are, are you running your company out of the North Shore then? or I am. We're, we're a virtual company. We're about 40 people and they're all over the country. We're a really tight-knit family, but we're not location-driven. We, I just get on a plane pretty frequently. Nah, the, and what I love about that is most companies who are smart are going to that model in the first place. There's, there's no point in having the overhead if everybody can work virtually. I can't claim that it was a smart decision. We've been that way since the beginning for 13 years. So we, we were forced you just because, kinda... because we started that way. We were forced to learn how to, how to do it well and be a close group of people, even if we weren't in the same room. Nice. Nice. Well, I mean, I, I, I did the opposite of that and you'll work for a lot of, you know, bosses that you sat right next to. Um, I can guarantee there's sometimes your team's like, thank God I ain't got to see him first thing in the morning. Oh, sure. <laughs> it's a video call. What? No one told me. No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in my underwear. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> so, so 
you've done all this this acting you're in one of the the biggest commercials of all times you've been in fight club so you've done some of this movie stuff you know did you see yourself as a little kid you know going this route you know um or or do you kind of feel like you just kept falling into place i mean i know you did the, the college training and all that stuff but um was it was it kind of your plan I think I, I felt like I was always, like I said, because of the way my mother raised me, I thought I was always supposed to do something big in the world. And to me, um, the platform that's created when you're a professional actor, that made sense. I didn't know if I was supposed to, to have an impact as an actor, but I felt like being an actor would give me the, the platform from which to make a difference. So then when I, when I left that, uh, I, I didn't know, I had no idea where I was going to head. The fact that I got you know, fell into business was never the trajectory that that never would have made sense to me until all of a sudden I was there. Yeah, yeah, that makes. Sense. I mean, because often what I tell people, you know, is on their journey is you know whatever you thought you wanted to be as a kid very rarely turns out to be the thing you end up doing. Yeah, you know? I feel far more valuable to the people that I serve because I come from a non traditional background. If I had a business degree. Right, that, that I wouldn't be able to serve people the way I do as a storyteller. You know, we work with major organizations. We work with a lot of CEOs, and we are particularly useful to them because we have an artistic background and we are thinking about their business from a place of authenticity. Like I'm looking at it from the standpoint of how do we engage people through entertainment, but as we are entertaining them, deliver something authentically valuable in right in terms of like the connectivity between the brand and the end user or the or the audience etc and I, we have a unique ability to do that because we're coming at it like i would go towards a play or writing a, a script so so walk me through it i mean what is it you're actually doing for these companies are you doing you know videos and 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 social i mean is that was that what you guys are focused but just doing it from the story yeah, so we uh, we were actually born as a book writing company, and and we have our particular niche. We help people write the book they're born to write, which is not an information product. It's more of a who I am and how I've grown this business, right? Based on like my origin stories, much like my five year old story. Right. right. That's a that's a who I am. That's a defining who I am story. So we help people to write those books, and uh, and then six seven years ago, we started getting pressed by folks who were going through our book writing process to use. Our, our process of how we go through books uh, to engage with people in other ways. And so we start doing organizational storytelling. How do we uh, create a whole storytelling ecosystem around a brand that is authentic to them, that actually uh, creates transformation through its authenticity, through its honesty, as opposed to just uh, broadcasting a bunch of crap which is unfortunately what most marketing is, right? Yes. Um, yes. And we do, think, we do things like art installations at events. Um, I do a fair amount of, of storytelling consulting. Like we got a, a company that we're starting to work with now that's, um, that is scaling storytelling um, through fundraising efforts, like uh, thousands of stories at a time, that kind of stuff. So uh, we get to play with it at all levels, but ultimately we, our goal is to use our capability to kind of open people through that through entertainment open their hearts open their minds and then do something responsible when we have them open so it's all about working with organizations that want to that sincerely are, are making an effort to improve the world so it's a social company idea 
I think you, you could certainly say that we were highly involved with conscious capitalism, right. uh, with founded by John Mackey. Um, and so we, we, you know, a lot of our partners are, are what are called conscious companies, whether they use that language or not. Sometimes right. that's a social uh, endeavor. Um, sometimes it is very capitalistic, but they're doing it in a, in a really open and authentic way where they treat their people incredibly well while they're manufacturing, you know, something out of steel. Right, right, right. Interesting. Interesting. So why storytelling, though? I mean, I mean, I get it. You're putting a human aspect to a company that may not typically be human. But but why for you guys and your company? Why that route? Well, if you if you go back to my my youth, right, um, feeling special was everything until it was gone. Right. Right. And so I think I've had this underlying pursuit of of wanting to help other people to feel special in that way, because I certainly believe that when uh, when I see or hear in another human being, I can always find that special piece about them that makes me care about them. And therefore, I have to listen to them differently when I care about them, even if we have difference of opinions, even if we're on the opposite end of the political spectrum, right? If I care about you from what I've heard, because I've seen that way in which you're a, a beautiful human being, like, I, I got to hear you differently. Um, that is really the genesis of all of this work is, is um, so many people have created companies and and they honestly don't know what's so special about them. They they often think that this is it's a it's a profit play, it's money, it's a money generation machine. But I'm a firm believer that anybody who's founded a company is an artist and they're using their business as a canvas to paint a version of the world they wish to see. Man, I can see some companies embracing the hell out of this, and then some companies looking at you like you got two heads. Our, our branding is very intentional in its polarity. It's, it's intended to provoke an immediate response of, of either, holy smokes, where have you been all my life? Or I need to get the hell away from you. You make me right. so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just got some buddies that run some decent-sized corporations. And I know if they sat across from you, they would look at you like you got two damn heads. I mean, by, yeah. by versa, I've got some buddies that would embrace the hell out of this. Totally. You know, um, so how do you do it? I mean, I, I know are you sitting across from them and saying, tell me your story and then diving in and then you guys are, are forming the narrative based off what they're telling you? Or have you guys put them on the couch and you are now the, the psychologist tearing them down and figuring it all out? Uh, it's a really fine line there. So there's, um, there's the potential for a lot of healing in our process, but we have to be careful because we're not trained psychologists. Right. My, my team is creative, uh, but it is a really fine line and they actually have to be trained in not being utilized as a therapist so that we don't overstep that bounds. <laughs> I can but imagine. It's, a, it, it's a lot of listening. It's a lot of um, a really great questioning and, and we train people really in how to, how to help people get to the, some deeper insight. How do we get a client to say things they've never said out loud or admitted to themselves? And then over time, how do we get them comfortable enough to eventually share that with the world? That's a that's an incremental process right. uh, where, where trust is is built over time. But we're a collaborative model. So when we work with a CEO, we'll surround that CEO with a creative team of people who are listening over a period of time. And then uh, there's a story that's emerging. So we're, it's very organic in the sense that we're waiting to see what wants to be told. And then, of course, it's the client's decision, ultimately, what gets shared in the trajectory. But our job is to to listen, follow the energy and reflect back to them what we're hearing, which allows them to see themselves in new ways and understand themselves in new ways. And that's where it becomes transformative for folks. And I'm a firm believer, particularly when it comes to books, don't expect your reader to change through reading your book if you haven't changed through writing it. Oh, wow. Wow. I hope everybody just heard it. That was a powerful damn statement. You know, you're 
really helping a company tell the story of their life. That's a that's a pretty pretty powerful thing to to be doing. Is it is it only in books or are you bringing in all the other elements too? Because I know you said keep saying books a lot, but yeah, books are about fifty percent of our business. Okay. Um, um, we do this organizational storytelling where we'll go into an organization and and we'll listen to multiple stakeholders and then reflect back. Right. What are we hearing, which gives them access to the gaps? Where, where are we walking our talk and where are we not? Um, and what do we want to do about that? Right. So it creates opportunity. And ultimately what it does, like when, a, when an organization is, is willing to be vulnerable and use what we are producing, they can use it internally to say um, we have to honor where there's this gap. Right. And when they do that publicly internally, they get a lot of, a lot of credibility with their employees. Right. And eventually they might even take it externally right and start sharing it on, at that scale in which case they get huge credibility from their audience they also get people who will judge them for it right but the amount of credibility and loyalty that's created um, when they're being authentic with with their stakeholders typically goes through the roof um, so we, yeah we do it we do it at a multitude of levels there's also I'm, I'm really fascinated with um, culture change through storytelling what are this you know we're all driven by stories right our, our, right. our narratives that power us at a very unconscious level. And, and sometimes those narratives are not necessarily reality. They're just the narrative that we have placed on events that have happened. And if we don't take a moment to consider those, um, we never get to revise them. And, and they might not be serving us anymore. What happens when groups of people are no longer being served by an old story? Can we revise that in a way that is authentic and that helps them to behave differently and therefore generate different results as a team? I find that to be just beyond blow my mind uh, fascinating no it it really is you know a good friend of mine chuck poligny has a a phrase that i've always loved about when it comes to marketing and it's you know marketing is what you say you do but branding is what everybody else says you do and you know i love the fact that through you know storytelling you're taking it internally and externally because you know it's making me think that the ceo can't tell his own story then how can anybody else buy into the vision it's really challenging, right? When when a when a CEO is 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 got a really tough exterior, um, is not willing to be vulnerable. They set the tone. They they set the level of permission for everyone else. Now there are plenty of companies that have found a way to be successful, depending on how you define successful, right? Um, a certain kind of success in being that way, and certainly lately, uh, particularly with younger folks who who are demanding. I think uh, that companies behave differently or have more purpose, right, or, or have a positive impact on the world. I think people are asking some different questions, so it's a, it's a great opportunity right now. Yeah, no, I love it. And, and you know, I have a theory, and I get into a lot of debates over this on, on different guests, that big business is going away um, because everything can go virtually, everything can go culturally, unless you can build a socially conscious business, and I don't care what that means, you know, you won't be in the long game because the youth that is coming up, God love them, is changing the dynamics rapidly about how we deploy everything, um, which is an amazing thing to be through. And, you know, I tell everybody that like from the sales game, that's that's my background, that that long gone is the hardcore closer, right? Now it's the relationship guy that can go in and establish trust with somebody that's going to get the deals done because I don't need a sales guy out front. I need somebody that can take the inbound leads as they're coming in 
and get those deals working on a lot of bigger basis because it's all relationship, it's all social, it's all content driven. So um, I love the yeah. fact that you guys are taking this on. There's something uh, that, that I'm discovering. The more that we amplify our message, the more that we find there are so many organizations that would love to work with us. They just hadn't seen us before. Right. And the number is way bigger than what I would have expected. Uh, but that only became possible you know, when we firmly took a stand and continued to take that stand so people quickly know what, you know, what we're about and, and what it is that we're willing to plant our flag around. Right. So that they, you know, and, and there are plenty of people who, once they hear that, like and if I come within 10 feet of them at a conference, you know, they'll, they'll turn away from me. They, don't, they want nothing to do with <laughs> vulnerability or this kind of storytelling or whatnot, and that's fine. Uh, but the people who do, they, they come running. And uh, the fact that there is way more um, uh, alignment out there with other organizations than I had anticipated really makes me hopeful for this kind of model. Like, I think gone is the model of needing to serve everyone. Right. And, and the power of being able to serve your niche, which, you know, if it's 10% of the country, that's still 35 million people, like whatever, it's still relatively powerful numbers where you can scale a business and, and be successful. And I think ultimately what I, what I get the most reward out of is that we attract organizations that are really working hard to matter in the world. And that means that all of our employees, when they put their head down on their pillow at the end of the night, they know they're contributing to things mm. where, where we're really trying to make a difference. That, that creates an entirely different life for those folks. Well, yeah, I mean, especially because as, as immersive as you guys have got to get into these companies to be able to tell the right story, you know, I hate to say it this way, but you're crawling in bed with these guys, you know, it's a, to get it's, a, it's a fine metaphor. Yeah. yeah. You know, to really, cause, cause you can't tell a story if you don't know their heartbeat. I mean, if you don't know, you know, what makes them tick because, this a lot of times, especially if you get the right company, this is their baby, right? I mean, they, they've been building this thing for sure. freaking years. Um, yeah, you're highlighting that that uh, our job is to invite the rest of the world into that bed with them in many regards, and so we have to understand how to fall in love with them so we can help other people do the same authentically, not manipulatively, right? Right. Uh, we got we got to do it by actually showing all sides of them and giving the audience an opportunity to to judge and reject them too, and see if they do, and some will, and a bunch will lean in closer and say, I think I'm not supposed to like you after hearing that, but damn it, I, I like you more. What do I do with that? Well, and, and, and I'm a, a big believer that conflict creates content. Love that. So if, if you're not pissing people off, then you're trying to serve everybody. It's not a relationship until there's conflict. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Look at my marriage. No. <laughs> right on. I love it. God love it. She's an amazing woman. You know, so so this is really fascinating because, you know, usually when somebody's looking at marketing, they're doing the same old, same old. You know, it's traditional, you know, let's let's build your brand, let's build your logo. I mean, I can't tell you how many marketing companies I've worked with over the years that I've walked away with a nice set of letterhead. Sure. <laughs> because, and I so say pretty. In, a, in, a, in a joking manner, but but it's because they're so focused on, okay, let's get the brand right. You know, I, I haven't heard somebody say, let's get the story right. Mm. You know, which is an, an impactful way to put a message out there from a marketing standpoint, because same with my podcast, I believe everybody's on a journey and everybody's got a story to tell. You're just doing that same thing, but you're taking it into corporate America and saying your company has a story to tell. That's really, really, really brilliant, bud. Um, I appreciate that. You know, 
from you know a nobody actor that was just in a commercial i mean good on you um <laughs> <laughs> thank god for that jewish mother man i, I would uh, i wouldn't have the confidence to to try to figure all this out yeah no that's awesome so you know you said you kind of stumbled into i mean learning to do all this right you went through a couple sure. of storytelling companies walk me through that a little bit what was it like you know trying to launch like the first iteration of this company yeah so uh thanks for the question it's a it's a story i enjoy sharing and it's a, a rather humiliating one so <laughs> you're welcome I'm so here we go hopefully i can grind it in a little bit more as we go <laughs> right on uh so so you know that that mountain dew money was rolling in and um and commercials are a very weird experience in that you get paid a day rate and then everything is left to chance relative to how it airs and when a commercial airs a, a lot on, on national network at least back then um I'd walk to the mailbox and day after day, there'd be thousands of dollars every, like every time I went to the mailbox, a very bizarre experience. Um, so what I learned certainly back then is, you know, your day rate is, is set up your life and then extra money is like, what do you want to invest in to, to make something bigger, to do something better? And so I invited eight other uh, students that I was studying with at Playhouse West, which is a really phenomenal acting school in Los Angeles. Um, I invited them up to Mammoth. I said, um, I I'll pay for most everything um, if you guys want to go, and uh, we'll all cook for each other, and we'll clean for each other, and we'll and we'll learn how to tell stories for a week up in this cabin. And I, I think I invited uh, nine other people, and eight other people came with me. So there was nine of us all together, and we called ourselves Elevation Nine Thousand Films. That was my first storytelling company. It wasn't quite well. well yeah. <laughs> Well done. It, wasn't, it was a high elevation, not quite 9,000, but there were nine of us that worked out. Um, and by the end of that, that week, uh, we had come up with a number of script ideas. And, and one of them in particular, we were like, we, we think we should make this into a, a short film. And, and then I got called out. And actually, two days before the end of the trip, I had to leave to shoot a Miller beer commercial. And it was one of those moments where I was like, I'm leaving to do something right. And I'm feeling so bitter for having leaving. So that was the whole you know, part of my transition where I realized I should probably get out of the acting thing because some other young kid would friggin' love this opportunity. And here I'm, I'm, I'm crabbing about it. Right. Right. So but we bring these nine people together and then we start making this movie. Um, we raised about, I think about 30 grand, which for a short film was a fair amount of money. We were shooting it on 35 millimeter film. We brought together, I was learning how to lead. I was, you know, learning how to attract really high caliber Hollywood people who typically you know, in, that, in the industry, people work half the year, and then the other half, they're looking for cool stuff to get involved in that grows their resume, builds relationships. So we got a, a phenomenal uh, stunt crew of like nine guys that worked on our project for nothing. Uh, we got an award-winning cinematographer. Like, we were attracting some really phenomenal people. We built this up, and I made like we were doing so many things really well. We made an adorable, sweet, kind-hearted film about this Boy Scout who is tasked with actually saving the world, and yet every time he's um, on his way to go save the world, he can't help but do small deeds like a good Boy mm -hmm. Scout does. You know, like save the cat from the tree and the woman whose roast is burning in the oven. And it's, but it's, it had so much heart. We loved that project. And I made one vital mistake. I fell in love with another one, uh, another member of the team, and she was married. Oh. And uh, I thought, I, I truly believed I was the hero in the story. I thought that because she was unhappy in her marriage, that, uh, that uh, that he was the villain, right? Which made me the hero. And we dated in secret all year long. And then um, on set one day, a couple of people figured it out. 
And that was the beginning of the end. Like all of the trust that had been established was depleted. And we, it, the company got factioned into three people who were on my side, three people who were against what we had done, and three people in the middle, like we don't know what the hell to think. And ultimately what happened was, was the project, um, we took it to a number of festivals, we won some awards, but it really got shelved. People felt badly enough about the, the kind of toxicity that was created that they just wanted to move on. So it, it, it blew up. And for three months after that, uh, I was pretty devastated. I lost most all my friends and I lost the woman appropriately. She went back to her husband uh, and I thought I was going to marry her. I mean, I was, I was committed. So it was, it was uh, several months of recovery and then eventually trying again and founded another company. And um, we had made such a big splash at our school by releasing that film. I mean, people thought we were heroic. No one had done something like that and something that was that good either. So, you know, standing ovation from 300 classmates was a pretty cool moment. And that kind of launched us into creating what we call the film lab. And so we, we created a new company, created a class. And from the class, there was another person who had some dough and a, and a pretty funny script and asked me to produce it. And so we were off to the races again, making another film. And, and, um, and I, and I did a variation, uh, like so many things, right. <laughs> it was, it was hilarious. It was a, it was a, 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 such a creative project about a woman who was turning 30 and having a hard time dealing with getting older. And, uh, and she was just a hilarious, bizarre, quirky human being. And so we were doing synchronized swimming and there's this giant orange 30 that people are running away from. It was absurd, but <laughs> but hilarious choreography, like, you know, we, we, uh, music that was created for the film. We went to the nines with it and, um, and hired amazing people again. And then I mistook the creative energy between her and I, I was directing this one, <laughs> you know, where this story's going, mm -hmm. right? And, um, and thought that it was a romantic relationship, convinced her it was when she questioned it. Uh, and then when the project ended and the feelings went away, right? I told her and broke it off and she felt terribly betrayed. And that project that was, I think, a, a potential project that really could have launched our organization was put on a shelf. You know, she paid me a little bit of money to take it back and have me have nothing to do with it anymore. And uh, a lot of the crew felt betrayed by what I had done again. So, I mean, it was so, it's so Hollywood cliche. <laughs> it's absurd right and yet the, these these lessons about uh romance in the workplace um were yeah, the really phrase is don't me. dip your pen in a company ink pool that is certainly one of them it's also don't shit where you eat right, right. <laughs> <laughs> now interestingly like as a result of this um what I thought the lesson was, was that I couldn't trust myself around women that I was creative with. And so for the first seven or eight years of creating Roundtable, which finally worked and, and had some staying power and is still in existence, um, I thought the lesson was that I, I needed to build walls around myself because I couldn't be trusted. If I got too close, I would misbehave. So I couldn't get too close. But seven, eight years into the company, um, we had a situation with one of our executive editors at the time, who was someone that that was a, a brilliant writer and editor, and uh, and I felt like she was dangerous for me, like like I was a, you know somewhat attracted to her, and so I found myself like that wall was really firm with her, and as a result, I could get really cold with her, 
And we had an incident where I was really unkind and it was very hurtful to her. And, and uh, our COO at the time kind of mediated a conversation. I felt I was in a shame spiral for having done it. And, um, and eventually it came out that, that I was afraid that I would misbehave because I had feelings around her talent and, and that I had learned this lesson that was really important, you know, that I couldn't be trusted. And, and they challenged me, that group, to, um, to consider that I might not be the same person that uh, I was when I built the wall. And maybe it was time to start taking it down brick by brick and, and see if I was, in fact, that person or not. And, uh, and it was a, a huge gift, an absolutely huge gift to me. Well, that says a lot about the team you put together that would have that much faith to allow you to do that because typical corporate America, they'd have put your ass over a spit and said, <laughs> yeah, bye, you're done, good riddance. Yeah, yeah. there's no doubt. Um, I'm, uh, I'm very uh, very blessed to, to surround myself with really good-hearted people. We practice a lot of vulnerability, so it, it was in alignment with with uh with our our values but to have people show up for me in a moment where they really could have i mean that that could have been a, a some serious scar tissue created yeah. right there in that yeah. moment and they they, uh, they were able to to meet me with some real generosity yeah that's awesome that's awesome yeah and it's always tough getting vulnerable but i also believe that there's a lot of healing in in going through that process you know and no another fact that you just shared that story with you know a couple hundred thousand people across the world you know but but you know good on you for stepping into it so where do you think all this is taking you man i mean you're you're running a successful company helping people really share their story which i think is fucking beautiful by the way um and you guys are doing really 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 well you're leading a strong team of virtual company you know um which is just awesome uh where's it all leading to uh well certainly i i think we want to we want to impact more lives right so um continuing to grow what we do well um and at the same time i i, I do have a a particular um uh, fascination around vulnerability in the workplace particularly extreme vulnerability in the workplace and where it is beneficial to an organization where it is dangerous and if there's another side that makes the danger worthwhile <laughs> so, so i I've done a, I've done a bunch of work uh, with the Gestalt Institute of Cleveland, which is a therapeutic methodology. Ultimately, it's like a, a good friend of mine once called it um, uh, a black belt in empathy. The work that we do over there, and after I did this 18 month program over there, which I actually did with my wife, which is a story unto itself. But um, at the end of that, I thought, okay, we got to get more business people in there. I mean, I was in a group of 20 people for 18 months. 17 of them were social workers and psychologists, and three of us were in business. One was a COO, one um, was an architect, uh, and myself, and I think one, one woman who ran a music department at a major university. But at the end of that, I was like, okay, we've got we've to get uh, business people in this space because especially in terms of the conscious capitalism movement that I'm involved in, I was like, this is that consciousness component. And so I started bringing CEOs into those rooms and we just had the most profound experiences that then I started having, you know, this question of, okay, what happens if, um, if we bring people in here who actually then go back home and work together? And so we used our own uh, leadership team uh, 
as guinea pigs for that. And in 2018, we went three times with between 12 and 14 people and did this profound, deep vulnerability work where people were like getting support in being able to have the toughest conversation with their spouse that they've ever had or in working out that, that inner voice uh, you know, that, that's um, particularly for artists, you know, that imposter syndrome mm-hmm. stuff, artists, entrepreneurs, we all deal with it. Um, like deeply moving work. And, and what we discovered after the first time was that when we support each other in that environment with personal stuff to that degree, when we're not only in the room to help each other, but we're actually a part of these uh, moments, uh, it's not necessarily intended to be healing, but it's moments where we're working on how the past shows up in the present. So there's some healing that can occur when we help each other through that stuff. And then we go back to work and have client issues to solve. They are so much smaller in comparison right. that we can work together in such a different capacity. Now, the second time that we went over a you know, two day, uh, it's usually an afternoon, a full day, and then a morning. The last morning, something got opened up that that was too big to be contained in the final hours that we had. So we left with some people feeling pretty triggered and a moment where I was like, holy smokes, did I just blow up my company? Right. (laughs) That was this moment of danger and like, okay, this is where this, this work is playing on the edge, but it happened that the person who was most triggered, triggered, we got her some support. She did some work in between and then she recorded a video to send to everyone else who had been there to say, I want you guys to know what I've been working on. Here's what I've come to as a result. I know you were in the room. I want you to know that where I've gone as a result of this. And that created enough safety for everyone to come back together. And we did it a third time and, and left so much closer. So it's like in many ways that work is about um, revealing the backpacks that we all carry around that are full of life stuff right. that we never talk about in the workplace unless we have an opportunity like this. And what we've discovered is when we know what each other is carrying, we are so much more compassionate and kind to one another mm-hmm. and to ourselves. And we approach work challenges from such a different place. So I, I, I think there's, there's certainly an aspect of that that is a huge part of my future. Um, and then the last piece is the conscious capitalism movement awesome. that I'm a, a big part of. That's awesome. Dude, what a wild ride, man. What a hell of a story. Um, uh, good on you. Good on you for, for one, having the tenacity to go through it. Two, to, to create what you've created and keep you know, moving forward with it. Um, it's going to be fun to, to sit over here in the, in, in the theater seats watching, you know, what happens next with this play of your life, you know, and, and where you guys go. And if you ever do a commercial again and I don't get a phone call or something, we're fighting, all right? I'm just telling you, if that happens, we're no longer friends, all right? Um, <laughs> so you've gone from wanting, wanting to be in a film to also being in a, in a commercial. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I quickly upgrade every chance I get, right? So, well, I, dude, after you told me about the mailbox money, of course I want to be in a commercial. <laughs> I don't know if they're as lucrative as they used to be because, you know, national television is – not what it used to be commercials a hundred percent not what it used to be you know yeah um uh it's insane that's why i'm enjoying podcasting because it is a new medium that is kicking ass and taking names so right on dude so good on you well awesome brother well here's how i wrap up every show man and i do stump some people with this so so get ready all right (laughs) if you were going to leave the champions that listen to this show 78 countries around the world um, if you were going to leave them with a saying, a phrase, a mantra, a quote, something they can take with them on their journey, especially if they're stacked up against it and going through it, 
what would be that quote or phrase you would say? Remember this. Well, here's what I'm going to share. Vulnerability is sexy. It doesn't feel like it when we're doing it, but to be a witness to someone else who's sharing something that makes their voice shake, you got to admire it. Right. And so when we're, when we're, when, when we're looking for what it is to be a champion, we got to lean into that vulnerability and trust that at the end of the day, the people who are turned on are going to let us know. That's awesome. Well said. And it's the absolute truth. Good on you, brother. Corey, I really appreciate this, my friend. Um, thanks, thanks for sharing your story with us. What a pleasure, Don. I had a blast. Awesome. And the ground is no place for a champion. What a cool episode, guys. I promise you uh, that was that was a lot of fun, especially really diving into his story. He sent me over a couple of those videos, and uh, I, the one I really think I want to burn my eyeballs out. <laughs> but so thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. I truly appreciate it. And, you know, do me a favor. If you got any value out of this show, will you, will you, you know, help somebody else? listen to the show, teach them how to subscribe, you know, tune in or listen to it so they can be a part of all the stories and everything else that happens as we talk about to, you know, talk about different things for all these amazing guests here on the show. So, and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're tuning in, leave us a great review. It'd be so awesome. I appreciate you guys. Make sure you come see us at the Badass Business Summit. Keep rocking, and we'll see you next time. Later. Kevin and I have a lot of fun each week recording these episodes and sharing our best thoughts and ideas with you all. Man, we're just proud to, to have you guys as listeners always tuning in. And we really appreciate the messages. We get the DMs, the emails, and the likes from you guys with questions and ideas for future shows. And that just means the world to us. We really are changing how the world networks. We've poured our heart and soul into Success Champions Networking, and it continues to grow. So if you haven't checked out a chapter and you're looking for a mastermind group of pure, absolute badasses that understand that giving introductions are way more powerful than referrals. Go to successchampionnetworking.com and request a visit. And thanks for being you. Thanks for being a champion of your success, because that's what it means to be a success champion.